Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, and welcome to Dyslexia Devoted, the podcast dedicated to building awareness, understanding, and strategies to help those with dyslexia. I'm your host, Lisa Parnello, dyslexia therapist and founder of Parnello Education Services. Join me as we dive into today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode. I have just returned from Boston. I went to my annual Wilson Trainer Conference last week, and it's always so wonderful to be surrounded by a room full of people who all believe in the power of helping kids with dyslexia. In those groups, we get so many common conversations that come up, and I can be sitting at a table full of people I've never met before and have nothing but wonderful things to talk about because we are all so passionate about helping kids and their families who have dyslexia. I do this trip pretty much every year, with the exception of, you know, the years we won't talk about and when nobody went anywhere. And I always love to have such rich and meaningful conversations that really drive home the fact that what we do matters. And there were so many instances of that during our trip this week. We heard a meaningful poet and speaker, Lederic Horn, who did a fantastic job exhibited who did a fantastic job sharing his story, both in the form of a story as well as his poetry. And he always puts on a good show while really getting to the heart of why we do what we do. Another speaker who really stood out to me and spoke about things that we don't talk about often enough was Elsa Cardenas Hagen, who did a fantastic talk about structured literacy for multilinguals, meaning kids who are learning how to speak English and read in English as well as another native language of theirs. And there really hasn't been enough research into how bilingual kids learn to read. And so she has really been at the forefront of studying the way language and literacy work when there are people learning multiple languages. I know that I have several clients who speak another language at home. So sometimes that is French, sometimes it's German, sometimes it's Spanish. And then they also are learning to read in English. Sometimes it's a student who speaks English at home, but is in a bilingual program. So let's jump in to this week's episode of Dyslexia Devoted, episode 59 of Crossing Languages. First, I wanted to talk about the fact that a lot of times when you are crossing a language and going from learning one language to learning another, it is typically better if a student is fluent in their native language first before trying to learn another language. So it is a much easier to make those neuro connections when you have something that you can relate it to in your native language. For this reason, it's why a lot of families choose not to put their students into a foreign language class until they've become better readers when they have dyslexia. I know I've seen a lot of parents pull their kids from their second language class that they're in because they get too frustrated and they are so far behind in their native language that now that they're learning two languages, they aren't fluent in either one very well. So it's not that students with dyslexia can't learn another language, because they absolutely can. It's just a matter of when that child is ready to do so. Sometimes they can go ahead and get that full immersion at a young age, 
and other times it doesn't work as well until they become very fluent in their own language. When you're fluent in a language, then you can connect the new language to the one you already know really well inside and out. When you have dyslexia, sometimes your own language feels like a foreign language. And that is where the trouble really comes in. As we're going along, when students are ready to learn a new language, that's when we have to start building up those connections between their current language and the language that they're learning. So whether their native language is something other than English and you're connecting it to English, or if their native language is English and then you need to connect it to a new language that they need to learn at school for a second language course, then there are some strategies that we can do to connect our languages to make this jump from one language to another not so challenging. One of the first things that I help some of my students do is to connect the alphabet from one language to another. I am not fluent by any means, but I often have had many students who will take a Spanish class, and then I have helped them understand the Spanish alphabet first so that they can connect the phonetic language that we have learned using our alphabet and to be able to map those alphabet letters to sounds and how they can do that for whatever new language they're trying to do. So I can help them do this with Spanish because I know all the sounds of the Spanish alphabet. Whereas I also know that some of the other languages I probably would be very useless at. Like if a student's taking French, I'd say, ah, great, go find a French tutor. I can't help you with that because I don't know all the sounds of the French language. So that part would not be an option. But when I can, I try to show the students how we can connect what we're already doing and apply it to another language. So showing them that the way that we use phonics in English You can use phonics in other alphabetic languages as well a lot of times. You just need to know what the sounds are that correlate to the letters they already know, and then teach them any extra letter combinations that don't exist in our language. For example, there's the double R that happens in Spanish that we don't have in American English, or if we do, it's not quite meaning the same thing. The next thing that we can do is to teach them how we break words into syllables. Many other languages can also be broken into syllables as well. So when I teach a student how to break apart a large word for reading, we can teach them some of those same rules still apply when they're breaking up a different word in a different language into syllables as well. So sometimes we might think all these strategies that took so long to learn in English are going to be really hard to do all over again in Spanish or whatever the other language is, when really we can apply those same strategies we used to learn that first language to the other language. And this is where it comes in that it's really helpful if you're fluent in your native language first before you go ahead and learn something new. You can utilize the same strategies that work the first time around when you learn the next language. Another thing that we talked a lot about during our time together this past week was the way morphology connects between languages. So we teach kids, or at least I do, teach kids morphology, meaning the Latin roots of our words and the Greek roots as well. That one tends to come a little bit later on and the way that those uh, Latin bases have meaning and how they can help us figure out what words mean. Now, when we think about that, there's actually a lot of Latin-based languages. All of the Romance languages, Spanish, French, Italian, are also Latin-based as well. So we can utilize some of that same knowledge that the students have already learned to help them understand what words mean in a different language. A lot of times we have cognates, so words that sound similar and actually mean a similar thing. We just have to be careful with those false cognates that seem like they mean the same thing when really they mean something completely different. But we can really utilize the skills of knowing some of our Latin roots and what they mean and learn that maybe it's just a change in pronunciation. 
For example, in the word connect, we have con in the beginning of our words in English. And then if you think about other languages, you could say con, which also means with in other languages. So we need to be able to make students start to realize the connections between their native language and the new language that they're learning. Whether that is a student who speaks Spanish that now needs to learn English, and we can make that flip so that they can connect to what they already know in their own native language to what they now need to know in English and just adjust the pronunciation. A lot of times languages are much more similar than we realize. Oftentimes it's more a change in pronunciation, but a lot of the meaning is derived from the spelling. And this is where spelling comes in really handy. If you can spell things properly, you can find those roots. Then you just need to adjust the pronunciation based on the phonetic patterns of what those letters would say in the language that you're speaking. So it's all about helping students find the patterns and connect them to what they already know and build on that knowledge. Another powerful idea that Dr. Cardenas Hagen brought up was the power of how we react to mistakes when students are second language learners. And I really love the way she pointed out when students made a mistake. Great job. You wrote down all the sounds you heard. Sometimes when students are learning to spell in another language, the way they pronounce things comes out in their writing. When we talk to students and we tell them to sound out a word, they're going to write down the sounds they hear. But if they're a student with an accent, sometimes the sounds they hear don't match the way that we would expect them to spell a sound on paper. So one of the things that is very powerful is to say, great job, you wrote down all the sounds that you heard. And then to help them connect the sounds they spoke to the way we would traditionally pronounce them in English and the way we would spell those sounds in English. Sometimes when we are working with students, we forget that the way we sound out a word may not be the way they talk, so the way they write it down will match the way they talk. And we want to validate that they wrote down all the things they heard themselves say and they sounded it out correctly. But then we also have to bridge that gap between what they heard themselves say and the proper way we would spell it in English and use that as a teaching moment to teach students, yes, this is the way you sounded it out, but in English, we would pronounce that more like this, and this is how we would spell that sound. And sometimes it also breaks the spelling rules of the native language. So sometimes, if you're able to, you can also validate your right. In this language, this is how you would spell this. But in English, we would spell it more like this. And help them to navigate going between the languages and the way that they would sound out a word and the way they would spell a particular sound so that it matches the language that we want them to be writing in. I'm also really excited to check out her book, which is Teaching English Language Learners, The Foundation of Literacy. So I'll be sure to link that book in the show notes, and that way you can see Dr. Elsa Cardenas Hagen's book and her work and all of the research she has. And then I know she's given many presentations, so I will try to find some of those this week. And if you are on the Dyslexia Devoted newsletter, you'll get it straight into your inbox. If you are not already getting my weekly emails, those are at parnelloeducation.com forward slash email and you can sign up to hop on the email list and then that way anytime I talk about different resources they'll come to your inbox on every Thursday so that way you don't have to go do so much digging around because I don't know about you but I listen to my podcast in a car where I'm not exactly typing and clicking on things I'm listening as I drive and peacefully ignore the traffic ahead of me 
but I'm not going to be clicking buttons on my phone or anything. So I like to always make sure that the things we talk about in these episodes get straight in your inboxes so you don't have to look them up with so much difficulty later. All right, that's it for today. So to recap, we talked about the importance of being fluent in your native language first before learning a new language, which is why many times families with students with dyslexia will choose to hold off on a second language till they get more fluent in their own language first. We also talked about bridging the gap between languages by teaching them how the patterns they've already learned can be applied to the new language, such as how do you sound out words and how do you break them into syllables? We can use those same strategies and apply them to a new language. And then we also talked about the way that we can use the morphology and the way that we can utilize what words mean and try to connect them between languages as much as possible. And I have a resource for that too that Dr. Cardenas Hagen had shared with her presentation. So I'll go ahead and link that in the show notes for you as well. And that's when you can look up the different languages and you can look up their alphabetic characters and how you would pronounce them, which can be very helpful in helping students bridge that gap. All right, that's it for this week and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to learn even more about dyslexia, check out parnelloeducation.com forward slash courses. See you next time.